Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. Today, we are joined by Cassidy Jones from the Instagram platform, Ginger Snaps. We will be discussing anti-racist animal advocacy. Welcome, Cassidy. Hey, happy to be here. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, I mean, we don't have a lot of time, so let's get right into it. But I'd love if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and of course tell us about your dog and if you have any other pets we'd also love to hear about them. My name is Cassidy Jones. I live in Connecticut. That was so cute. I live in Connecticut with my singular dog Ginger um, who will hopefully have lots of siblings but I have to stop being broke first. I am currently in grad school. I'm in the sixth year of a PhD program at Yale in the African-American Studies and English Departments, where I work on 19th century African-American eco-poetics, which is just old Black nature poems, um, which is kind of how I ended up in this position in the first place. And I also run Ginger's Naps, which is an Instagram account where I talk about being a first-time dog mom and also, I guess more importantly, um, the history of anti-Black racism and where dogs show up in that. Yeah, and that's what we're really looking forward to learning about today. But I mean, hearing about your background a little bit, you're like, you're smart, smart. Oh my gosh. Yale? Like what? <laughs> my my brain is like like fireworks are going off. Like, yeah, you're uh you're uh you're that is incredible. My um, brain also has fireworks going off, and it's not good for writing a dissertation. It's just fireworks in there. There's nothing well, that's, else. So what I was going to say, we have a very, very, very close friend who has a PhD, which neither of us have even ever considered. I support that. In any, yeah. And the story she tells us about uh, how dark the PhD days get, um, how, are you, how are you holding up? Thank you for asking, honestly. <laughs> um, I'm well enough. That's what, my, that's what my advisor says when we check in. No matter what I say, he goes, so you're good then? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm good. Oh, well, well enough. Well, I think if we asked our friend with the PhD, Dominica is her name. We'll give her a little, a little shout out. I'm sure she would say well enough would be, that's pretty good for mid PhD. So there you go. Amazing. Almost at the end. (laughs) Hopefully this is hopefully. Well, I'm sure Ginger is a, a great emotional support for you I'm guessing I am her support entirely (laughs) she is the center of my world but she does not care about uplifting me (laughs) (laughs) the honesty I love it (laughs) right all right well let's get right into it so I mean as we've we've kind of introduced already we're going to be discussing anti-racist animal advocacy and allyship and within our organization I mean we do a lot outside of our podcast and anti-racism, anti-discrimination, and demonstrating strong allyship are really, really important to us and are aligned with our organizational values really strongly. So to get us started, I think for a lot of people, I like to kind of back things up a little bit. So could you maybe give our listeners some context around anti-racism in the dog space and why it really is something that we need to be thinking about? Yeah, I think that Human social justice issues and animal welfare issues are overlapping in a lot of ways. Um, And I think the answer 
the answers to a lot of problems that I've seen animal lovers want to solve um, lies in taking care of other human beings. I think when the animal world becomes a more diverse and open space, we'll see less dogs sitting in shelters because there are more homes available. We'll see uh, more healthy animals because there's more access and education. Um, so I just, I'm a general proponent of sharing the mission of making sure human beings are taken care of so that human beings can help us in the mission of making sure other animals are taken care of, if that makes sense. The animal industry is overwhelmingly white. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and really, really, really resonates with me. My background is actually in social work. So I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last decade working in a, a social justice capacity and I do work in academia teaching and I um, obviously, and Mackenzie and I um, starting Dog Friendly KW, I feel like we've woven so many social justice issues into our work and I'm always shocked at how not only political, but how many, not necessarily issues, but social challenges that you can engage with and get involved in and how much intersection there is, even when you're working in a space that people might think might not traditionally align with those social justice issues, but it, it's, it's everywhere because you're always dealing with humans. Yeah. Anti-Black racism is um, very widespread. I haven't found a corner that it, it doesn't touch yet. Um, but it's difficult to introduce that conversation to people who are used to extending empathy to pets only, asking them to divert that energy to the cause that they believe is most important, and that's fine. Um, you can get a lot of pushback. People feel defensive because they think that I'm trying to tell them that it's not worth it to try to save the animals. We need to focus on us first but I'm really trying to uh, say that all of this works together. <laughs> and if we work together, everything gets better for everybody, including the pets. Yeah, I just to chime in on that a little bit, I've heard in the past, like, hey, why do you bring situations like this up? They're just dogs. And it's like, really? Like, yeah, like you say, like they all kind of just at one point or another overlap in some capacity. And I love what you said about, you know, you can take anything, um, related to like, yeah, it's, it comes down to the human. So yeah, I, I love that. Um, and, and we've historically, even just when we have taken a, a position or a stance on a particular social justice issue, whatever it is, we've had people on social media say, this is just a dog page, you know, stop talking about this. I don't want to see this. And our response to that is you can leave <laughs> because these are our values and these are things we care about. And you might think this is a dog page, but we're humans behind the dog page and our role as allies is to support these marginalized groups in any and all space. And it's, yeah, it's definitely been a journey for us for sure. Yeah. I get that kind of feedback as well. People tell me that I'm, I'm making the dog world divisive, um, but it's divided on its own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty segregated industry already. It's divided. I'm actually trying to bring us back together. Yeah bring down some of the barriers. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, so I think it's really important to look at the the history of things because obviously that that frames so many pieces that we're I think going to talk about mostly in the second half of today's episode. But you do talk a lot about the history of racism in the dog space, and I'd love to hear and learn a little bit more about what this history looks like, um, and and kind of give some of that context to our listeners. All right, deep breath on that one. It's long. Um, the first place I usually bring people to is enslavement, U.S. chattel slavery, starting in the 17th century. Um, there were dogs being imported and then bred and trained specifically to hunt down Black people, Black people who had escaped enslavement primarily. Um, they were referred to as Negro dogs and all sorts of other names. Um, I think the most prominent was a Cuban Mastiff that was trained specifically in this area. And the training was very cruel uh, toward black people and toward dogs. Um, Sometimes they would make enslaved black people beat a dog until it's angry. And then that dog was sick on the black person in turn to try to teach, teach anti-black racism to another species. Um, So that's the foundation of where a lot of the things I talk about come from. Also during enslavement, some enslaved people uh, were legally not allowed, not just enslaved people, actually, Black people in certain countries were legally not allowed to have dogs, um, mostly because white folks were afraid of the races, of the the violence they had inflicted on Black people being inflicted upon them if Black people had dogs. Um, But they said it was because of sheep. It wasn't because of sheep, but hey. We move out of the 19th century. We talked about like the 18th and 19th century. Once you get to the 20th century, you have folks fighting for civil civil rights and civil rights protesters are being met most often with three things, cops, fire hoses, and dogs. The dogs were trained for crowd control, but once again, it was mostly to scare or hurt Black people. Um, So there's a very deep-seated history of police dogs, working dogs, uh, being trained to uphold white supremacy and perpetuate anti-Black violence, which is why it's less common to see a generational tradition of Black families having pets. And so there are more instances of Black folks being afraid of dogs because they were taught to be afraid of dogs by people who were taught to be afraid of dogs by people who were taught to be afraid of dogs. And so we get this lack of representation and lack of diversity in like the veterinary industry. There's, I think it's up to 3% now, up to 3% black vets and almost all of them come from one school, the only school that will take them to Tuskegee. And then um, there are not that many black folks participating in shows, participating in dog sports, a lot of these conventions, a lot of pet spaces are just predominantly white people. Um, and so there are historical reasons for that. And I would like to fix it. <laughs> I would like to fix it because there are also lots of instances of Black people who have loved dogs throughout history, including in enslavement. There are documented in slave narratives, documented cases of people having very deep relationships with companion animals. Um, and I think ignoring that part of it uh, does a disservice to black dog owners, black dog lovers today. I don't use the term dog owner. Sorry. 
I don't know why that came out of my mouth. Um, black dog lovers who need access to more information on taking care of dogs need to be welcomed into these spaces with these resources, with these people who know a lot already um, so that everyone can have happy pets. Is that, that's history. History. That, <laughs> that was a really, really, really great snapshot. And I think is a really good place for us to take like a quick pause. Cause my brain is just like going at a million miles a minute. So thank you so much for that Castie. Um, you've given everybody such a good introduction. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to dive a little deeper into a few other pieces related to anti-racist animal advocacy. So be right back. Thank you. 